Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So the article following is called James Adams, Early Springfield Mormon and Freemason. This is not about President James Adams, though. This is about James Adams, who was a lawyer, was born on January 24, 1783, died August 11, 1843. So he was a 19th century Illinois lawyer and was a close friend of Joseph Smith, the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or Mormons as we also know them by. So anyways... Uh, Kick back, relax, and enjoy this upcoming article. The following article is from the Journal of the Illinois State Historical Society, 1908-1984, to Volume 75, Number 2, and is titled James Adams, Early Springfield Mormon and Freemason, by Kent L. Walgren. At a conference of the Mormon Church at Nauvo, Illinois, on October 9, 1843, Joseph Smith delivered a discourse commemorating the death of James Adams, an honorable, worthy, useful, and esteemed member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Adams had died at the age of 60 on August 11, 1843, while preparing to move from Springfield to Nauvo. In the sermon, Smith recalled, I saw him first at Springfield when on my way from Missouri to Washington. He sought me out when a stranger took me to his home encouraged and cheered me, and gave me money. He has been a most intimate friend. The significance of Adam's relationship with Joseph Smith has been overlooked by historians of Mormonism, probably because Adams did not hold any leadership position in the church. Yet, he was an early practitioner of plural marriage, one of ten men who participated in the first secret Mormon temple rites, and a surrogate father of Joseph Smith. The path that led from his birth in Connecticut to his death in Nauvo abounded in controversy and included encounters with Abraham Lincoln and Illinois Freemasonry. Only a vague sketch can be drawn of the last 50 years of Adams' life. He was born in Limsbury Township, Hartford County, Connecticut, on January 24, 1783, to Parmenio and Chloe Adams. About 1809, at the age of 26, he married Harriet Denton of Orange County, New York, the Adamses passed their early married life in Oswego, New York, where three daughters and a son were born between 1813 and 1818. In October 1818, three months after the birth of their youngest daughter, James Adams was indicted on forgery charges. The indictment alleged that in December 1816, Adams had forged and backdated a deed purporting to convey from one Donald McDougall Stewart a tract of 600 acres in Granby, New York. After posting bail, but before answering the indictment, Adams apparently fled the state, leaving his family behind. About 1821, the year that the symbolic act of driving a stake into the ground on John Kelly's Spring Creek land heralded the birth of Springfield, Illinois, Adams appeared in the town, representing himself as a lawyer. He quickly became involved in local Democratic politics, and by 1823 was appointed Sangamon County Probate Justice of the Peace and Peoria Postmaster. 
About that time, he hired some residents to help in moving his family to Springfield. In August 1823, the New York court, presumably having lost hope of apprehending Adams, discharged the bail. With one exception, little is known of Adams' career as a lawyer. The first murder recorded in Sangamon County occurred on a summer morning in 1826 when Nathaniel Van Noy, in a drunken frenzy, killed his wife. Adams and Jonathan P. Hugh, also of Springfield, represented the defendant, who was found guilty and hanged. In addition to his law practice, Adams was engaged at various times as an insurance agent and a general agent, but land speculation may have been his most important financial interest. He also pursued a military career, having been a veteran of the War of 1812 and commissioned a brigadier general of the New York Militia in 1818. He participated in the Winnebago War during the summer of 1827 and the Black Hawk War of 1831-1832. In the spring of 1834, the Sangamo Journal noted that a group of Peoria citizens was interested in Adams as a candidate for governor, and in June he announced his availability for the office as a nonpartisan candidate. His views on issues of the day, finances, internal improvements, education, were set forth in a July issue of the journal. More noteworthy than the views themselves were the religious allusions Adams made, drawing a strained analogy between prosperity and the living creatures and wheels in Ezekiel's vision. His statement concluded with a promise that he would seek the guidance of that invisible power that guides the destinies of all. Such allusions were perhaps nothing more than political prattle, but they may have been evidence of a religiosity that would later be manifested in Adams' attraction to Joseph Smith and the Mormons. In the August election, Adams was a distant third to the winner, Joseph Duncan. The following year, he ran unsuccessfully for Sangamon County Recorder while retaining the position of probate justice. In 1837, the office of probate justice became an elective position, resulting in a bitter controversy between Adams and Abraham Lincoln, among others. The April 15th Sangamo Journal announced that both Adams and Dr. Anson G. Henry, a friend of Lincoln's, were candidates for the office. The Democratic newspaper, the Illinois Republican, edited by George R. Weber and friendly to Adams, published an unsigned article criticizing Henry for incompetence as superintendent of construction on the Illinois State House of Springfield. In retaliation, the journal, the Whig Organ, published a series of six letters signed Samson's Ghost, a reference to a deceased partner of Adams, Andrew Samson. The first letter intimated that Adams had been the author of a piece on Henry and warned Adams to attend to his own affairs. In successive weeks, Samson's Ghost implied that Adams had obtained his Springfield property illegally and demanded that he make public the lease by which he claimed title to the land. In its August 5th issue, the journal noted as suspicious the recording date of the lease, the unavailability of all but one witness, and the imperfect memory of that witness. A few days prior to the election, another issue was raised against Adams. An anonymous handbill, to which Lincoln subsequently admitted authorship, charged that Adams had fraudulently obtained a 10-acre tract of land from the estate of a Sangamon County farmer named Joseph Anderson. Lincoln alleged that in spring of 1837, Anderson's widow Mary and son Richard traveled to Springfield to sell the land, but upon learning that Adams claimed title to the tract, Mr. Anderson hired Lincoln, his partner John T. Stewart, and Stephen T. Logan to represent her in legal proceedings. After reviewing the records, Lincoln requested that the county recorder, Benjamin Talbot, borrow the deed from Adams so that it could be compared with the recorded copy. 
Talbot consented and went to the Adams' home, where he obtained a packet of documents from Adams' son Lucian, among which were the deed and an assignment of judgment from Joseph Anderson to James Adams. Talbot showed the assignment to Lincoln and others before returning it to Adams' home the same day. Lincoln's handbill contained a copy of the document, and he pointed out that although the assignment was dated May 10, 1827, the judgment had not been obtained until the following October. Lincoln also noted that the document was in what appeared to be fresh ink and entirely in Adams' handwriting. Adams responded that Talbot had not returned the assignment and that Lincoln and his associates had fabricated the story to embarrass Adams and secure the election for Henry. Adams eventually made public an assignment from Anderson that differed materially from the one published by Lincoln, and Adams won the election 1,025 to 792. The imbroglio, however, was just beginning. From August through November, the journal published a number of affidavits and articles by Talbot, Logan, Elijah Isles, Archer, J. Herndon, and others supporting Lincoln's accounts. The Republican published rejoinders by Adams and several affidavits in his support, including ones by his son Lucian and a man named Peter Weber. Weber swore in his affidavit that while he was in Adams' kitchen, a frightened and confused Talbot left a packet of papers on the table, intimating that Talbot might not have included the assignment. Lincoln, unaware that Weber was engaged to marry one of Adams' daughters, responded that he was probably some black or mulatto boy from his being kept in the kitchen. The journal followed the next week with the jest, Why is the Popedom like General Adams' kitchen? Because both are entered by the keys of Peter. During the fray, Adams, in a newspaper article, charged Logan with forgery. Logan responded by suing Adams for libel, asking $10,000 damages. The suit was dismissed after Adams paid the court costs and stated on the record that he had not intended the forgery charges. The controversy over the Adams deed wore on until November 25th, when the journal printed the 1818 New York indictments against Adams. That publicly proved a death knell for the Anderson case. In May 1838, Adams issued a final defense, but by then the affair had run its course, leaving in ruin long-standing friendships between Adams' family and the Logans and Herndons. In late January of the following year, ten men, including Adams, who had acted as a Missouri Grand Lodge officer pro tem when Springfield's first Masonic Lodge was formed in 1823, petitioned the Missouri Grand Lodge for a new lodge. In October, Springfield Lodge was chartered and Adams was named Worshipful Master. At the annual election, Adams was chosen junior warden, and a committee was appointed to procure for him a silver cup as a token of respect and esteem, presumably for his efforts in launching the new lodge. Two days later, Adams and two other members represented Springfield Lodge at a convention in Jacksonville to discuss the formation of a Grand Lodge for Illinois. In April 1840, the Grand Lodge was established and Adams was elected Deputy Grand Master, the second highest state office. Also in that month, he was an unsuccessful candidate for Springfield Alderman. During his tenure as a Grand Lodge officer, Adams seems to have had an officious finger in the affairs of Springfield Lodge. The meddling became so offensive that in April 1841, a special meeting was called to consider dissolution of the Lodge. A compromise was apparently reached by which eight members, among them George Weber and Adams' son Lucian, asked leave to form a new Lodge. The minutes of that meeting conclude... Whereupon the deputy grandmaster, James Adams, addressed the lodge, and after having given the lodge various wholesome advice, concluded by assuring them that in future he would refrain altogether from taking part in the ordinary business of the lodge. 
There is no record that Adams ever officially withdrew from the Masonic organization, but he was never again listed as a member of any lodge. When the Grand Lodge convened on, in October 1841, Deputy Grandmaster Adams was absent. He had thrown his lot with the Mormons and was at that time attending the Mormon General Conference in Navao, where he received his patriarchal blessing from Hiram Smith, who pronounced Adams of the tribe of Judah. The date at which Adams first became associated with the Mormons is unknown. There is some evidence that he may have been baptized as early as December 4, 1836. More likely, the rite was performed in the fall of 1840. The first reliable evidence of a Mormon connection is Heber C. Kimball's account of a visit with Adams in October 1839. The following month, Joseph Smith traveled via Springfield to Washington, D.C. to seek redress from the federal government for wrongs suffered by the Mormons in Missouri. Upon arriving in Springfield, Smith recorded, General James Adams, judge of probate, heard of me, sought me out, and took me home with him and treated me like a father. Details of the visit are lacking, but it is known that the prophet stayed with Adams from November 4th until November 8th when Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and Dr. Robert D. Foster continued eastward. Adams was at the time worshipful master of Springfield Lodge, which had been chartered just one week earlier. During that extended visit, Smith would most certainly have been aware of Adams' attraction to Freemasonry. The meeting with Adams, however, was not the Mormon prophet's first contact with the Masonic organization. As Smith was writing the Book of Mormon in 1828 and 1829, anti-Mason sentiment was spreading from western New York throughout the country. Many scholars believe that the bias in the Book of Mormon against secret societies was directly related to the anti-Mason feelings of the time. Some early Mormon leaders were passionately anti-Masonic. William Wines Phelps, an influential convert and publisher of the first Mormon newspaper, had been an anti-Masonic editor in New York. Lucinda Pendleton, Morgan Harris, widow of William Morgan, who in 1826 was allegedly murdered by Masons in New York, became a plural wife of Joseph Smith, probably in 1838. In addition, Smith was undoubtedly instructed about Freemasonry by his elder brother, Hiram who had received the first three degrees at the Lodge in Palmyra, New York, sometime in the 1820s. James Adams' motives for affiliating with Joseph Smith and the Mormons are not clear. Perhaps he viewed them as prospects for the sale of land, or it may have been that he was reacting to declining political expectations. In August 1841, he won his term as Sangamon County Probate Justice by only 38 votes. Or, most obviously, perhaps he was a sincere convert to Mormonism, the peculiar religious allusions he made while running for governor have already been noted. During the controversy with Lincoln, one detractor proclaimed that Adams' duplicity would not be covered over by the mantle of religion. By all appearances, he seems to have exhibited a certain piety. Whatever his motives, by 1841 it was no secret that Adams had become a Mormon. The January 15th Times and Seasons, the Mormon newspaper in Navao, listed him among some principal men of Illinois who, after investigating the doctrines we proclaimed, have become convinced of the truth and of the necessity of obedience thereto. A few weeks later, he was chosen as one of the regents of the newly chartered University of Navao. The university chancellor was John C. Bennett, newly elected mayor of Navao who had been associated with the Mormons only since September 1840, and would soon become the assistant president of the church. It is possible that Bennett and Adams met as early as June 1840, when Bennett was in Springfield on business. Both were well-known Democrats, Freemasons, military officers, and close friends of Stephen A. Douglas. 
Without doubt, the two had become acquainted by December of that year, when Bennett spent considerable time in Springfield procuring charters from the Illinois legislature for the city of Navao, the university, and the Navao Legion. Bennett may have even lodged with Adams at that time. In June 1841, while Adams was still deputy grandmaster of the Illinois Grand Lodge, Bennett and others requested the formation of a lodge at Navao, which was granted in October. Members did not begin meeting until late in December, apparently awaiting completion of the second story of Joseph Smith's store, the only facility in the town large enough to accommodate the group. On December 30th, Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and others petitioned for membership, and at the formal installation of Navao Lodge in March 1842, Smith and Rigdon were made masons at sight. Historians of Mormonism have struggled for more than a century to understand why Joseph Smith and the Navao Mormons became involved in Freemasonry. It is a puzzling question, though not beyond conjecture. Smith was a poor judge of character who repeatedly surrounded himself with foreigners by whom he was easily influenced and who often ended up as enemies. The Navao introduction of Freemasonry, which flew in the face of clear Book of Mormon prescription of secret societies, illustrates the extremes to which Smith could be swayed. There is no evidence that the idea of establishing a lodge at Navao originated with the Prophet. The likely proponents were James Adams and John C. Bennett. The Quorum of Twelve, including their president, Brigham Young, a shrewd judge of character, had left for missions in England in September 1839. Smith did not become acquainted with either Adams or Bennett until after the Twelve had departed, and by the time of their return in July 1841, the Mormons had applied for a lodge at Navao, and Adams and Bennett were firmly entrenched. Phelps, the ardent anti-Mason, was no deterrent, for he had been excommunicated from the church in March 1839 for testifying against Smith on charges in Missouri. A justification for the Mormon turnabout was provided by the presumed antiquity of Freemasonry. Mormonism, from its inception, was a restorationist religion seeking to re-establish ancient truths that had degenerated with the passing of centuries. Freemasonry, Smith taught, had been a pure principle at the time of King Solomon and could serve as an introduction and pattern for the pure or celestial church ceremony that he called the endowment. In addition, Freemasonry provided instruction in the art of secrecy, a desirable commodity for an organization in which plural marriages were being contracted. In a discourse, Joseph Smith once said that the secret of Masonry is to keep a secret. It is probably not coincidental that, concurrent with his initiation into Freemasonry, Smith, on March 17, 1842, established the Female Relief Society of Navao, which also seems to have had the aid of institutionalizing secrecy. Emma Smith, president of the new society and legal wife of Joseph, read an article to the members that she said would test their ability to keep secrets. The article, actually an epistle signed by Joseph Smith as president of the church, Brigham Young, as president of the Twelve, and four other men, stated that female virtue in Navao was being undermined by some unprincipled men whose names we will not mention at present, not knowing but what there may by some among you who are not sufficiently skilled in masonry to keep a secret. The epistle warned society members to beware of those taught precepts contrary to the old established morals and virtues, an unmistakable reference to polygamy, and concluded, let this epistle be had as a private matter in your society, and we shall learn whether you are good Masons. Shortly thereafter, Bennett had a disastrous falling out with Smith, and in early summer 1842 began exposing the Mormons through a series of articles in the Sangamo Journal. But James Adams remained loyal to the prophet, and in fact became his confidant. 
On May 4th and 5th, 1842, six weeks after Smith had been raised to Master Mason, he selected himself, Adams, and eight other intimates to receive the first Mormon endowment. Adams, who at some point had been ordained a high priest and patriarch of the church, arrived in Navao on April 30th, passing most of the day with Smith and his family. On May 4th, Smith recorded, I spent the entire day in the upper part of the store, in council with General James Adams of Springfield, attending to washings, anointings, endowments, and the communication of keys pertaining to the Aaronic priesthood, and so on to the highest order of the Melchizedek priesthood, setting forth the order pertaining to the Ancient of Days. When the rites were repeated in May 1843, Adams was again present. It was also in May 1843 that Adams' awareness of polygamy is confirmed, although he surely had known of the practice for some time. Smith had taken his first plural wives in the 1830s, and by 1843 was secretly married to at least 20 women. A persistent obstacle to those liaisons had been his first wife, Emma, but by 1843 she was persuaded to accept the doctrine and went so far as to choose two women for her prophet husband. The high priest, James Adams, was summoned from Springfield to perform the rites, and on May 11th, he sealed two young sisters, Eliza and Emily Partridge, to Smith in Emma's presence. Within weeks, however, she recanted her broad-mindedness, and when Smith's manuscript revelation on plural marriage was presented to her, she destroyed it. Adams himself became a polygamist on July 11th, when he was sealed to Roxana Repshire by Joseph Smith at Navao. It is not known whether Adams' wife Harriet was aware of the marriage. In addition to his quasi-ecclesiastical functions, Adams performed important public relations and legal assignments for Smith. In July 1842, as his agent in Springfield, Adams used his influence with friends of Governor Thomas Ford to counteract the disclosures of Bennett and to quell public displeasure over the political coalition that had developed between the Mormons and Democratic candidates. In August, Smith went into hiding after Bennett provoked the issuance of an arrest warrant charging the prophet with being an accessory in an attempted murder of former Missouri Governor Lilburn Boggs. On December 17th, Adams advised the fugitive Smith that by coming immediately to Springfield, he could be discharged by a writ of habeas corpus. On December 30th, the prophet arrived in Springfield, where he lodged with Adams for a week. Early in January 1842, the arrest warrant was quashed, and Smith was able to return to Davao. Six months later, Adams learned from Governor Ford that an arrest warrant on 1839 treason charge had been issued for Smith. Adams' warning was sent by messengers to Lee County, where Smith and his wife were visiting relatives. Having sounded the alarm, Adams proceeded to Navao, and for almost two weeks he visited towns in Hancock County to gauge the growing anti-Mormon sentiment. Smith was arrested, but once again was released on a writ of habeas corpus. In May, Adams and Smith became business partners. Dan Jones and Levi Moffat, both Welsh converts to Mormonism, had built and operated a small steamer, the Maid of Iowa, which was often used to transport European Mormons up the Mississippi from New Orleans to Navao. On May 11th, Jones was called on a mission to Wales, and on the following day, Smith purchased Moffat's one-half interest and began running the Maid of Iowa as a ferry between Navao and Montrose, just across the river in Iowa. Presumably, Smith and Jones each owned a half-interest in the steamer, but Smith, the beneficiary of a Navao ordinance giving him the sole right to operate the ferry, seems to have been a front for Adams. On May 29th, Adams deeded to Smith, as trustee in trust for the church, 1,760 acres of prairie land in Hancock County, apparently in payment for his interest in the Maid of Iowa. 
Sometime in 1843, Adams became the Democratic candidate for Hancock County Probate Justice, even though he still resided in Sangamon County. The ticket prevailed in Davao by an overwhelming majority, and Adams was elected. The perceived arrogance of the Mormons in controlling the party and electing a non-resident to county office triggered a wave of anti-Mormon sentiment. But Adams was never to take office. He died on August 11, 1843, just four days after the election, and was buried in Davao with Masonic honors on August 16. The Mormon Times and Seasons reported, It is with regret that we announce the death of our respected brother, General Judge Adams of Springfield. He joined this church some time ago in the above place and had come to Navao for the purpose of arranging matters preparatory to his removal to this place. He was attacked by the cholera morbus. He has left an amiable family and a large circle of acquaintances by whom he was greatly respected to mourn his loss. Peace to his ashes. On October 9, 1843, during the church's semi-annual conference, Joseph Smith eulogized Adams. Patriarch Adams is now one of the spirits of the just men made perfect, and, if revealed now, must be revealed in fire, and the glory could not be endured. Concerning Brother James Adams, it should appear strange that so good and so great a man was hated. The deceased ought never to have had an enemy, but so it was. Wherever light shone, it stirred up darkness. Truth and error, good and evil, cannot be reconciled. Judge Adams had some enemies, but such a man ought not to have had one. I anointed him to the patriarchal power to receive the keys of knowledge and power by revelation to himself. He has had revelations concerning his departure and has gone to a more important work. When men are prepared, they are better off to go hence. Brother Adams has gone to open up more effectual door for the dead. The prophet seemed to marvel that James Adams was hated, yet between 1837 and 1843, Adams had alienated himself from long-standing friends, the Masonic fraternity, his home county of Sangamon, and was at odds with Whigs and anti-Mormons. Smith described Adams as a most intimate friend. More than a friend, however, he became a substitute father for the prophet, filling the void occasioned by the death of the patriarch, Joseph Smith Sr., in Davao in September 14, 1840. Adams' salutation, my son, in a December 1842 letter to Smith, denotes Adams' acceptance of the role. Smith's choice of Adams, a man of intelligence, wealth, and standing, as a replacement for his own father, a semi-literate, hard-luck farmer, is revealing of the prophet's personality and impressionability. The Adams' alliance with Mormonism died with James. His wife Harriet remained in Springfield, where she died a year later. Of his children, only his eldest son Lucian is known to have had any dealings with the church. In December 1845, he was successful in reversing local sentiment against a Mormon elder imprisoned in Springfield. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.